Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. We do have the NBA Finals starting on Thursday and we're going to get to three-time champion Byron Scott shortly. But Adam, there's also another game going on at the Finals and it's a media (laughs) basketball game. And it happens, it does happen every year. And I remember playing in it a few years ago when Dave McMenamin, your good buddy, and a longtime friend of mine started, he, he hosted it or organized it back at Cleveland State. A bunch of us were playing like on three hours sleep. And I just remember hitting a game winner in one game. I was on Dave's team. Dave hit a game winner in another one. Chris Haynes had, had some game who's actually organizing the one out in Fresno. And it's, he said he's had 100 requests, but only 40 are in. And now there's talk about this being streamed. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if this, if this ends up being streamed, you're going to have six guys show up and it's going to be three on three. Yeah. If it's streamed, it will change the way that fans look at, at the media forever. They won't do Uh, it. They, they, They won't, they won't play. Yeah. I, it's weird though, Noah, because a lot of those guys just have these, um, this, this self inflated view uh, of their of their hoop games and 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 look no you've played with these guys I've played with these guys a lot of them aren't very good and uh, it, 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 listen it's not that you had to play at the highest level in order to comment or evaluate or break down the game of basketball but there's some stuff that's like basic understanding. And and when you watch a guy play and he doesn't even know how to properly shoot a jumper or his footwork is terrible or he can't handle a basketball, and then he's like critiquing some of the world's greatest players, you, you view it a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, do, yeah, look, I, and I don't necessarily agree with that. And but I but you do. It is. It's just natural to look it's at natural. it. It's natural. It, it is. It is. And, and look, the players who say. Oh, let's get this on so we can critique you. Come on, the, the players aren't the players aren't going to be able to sit down and write a three thousand word feature on something and pull it off just as well as any of these other guys could. So enough it's of this. Exactly enough right. This. It's exactly right. Stay in your lane, everyone. Everyone, stay in your lane. All right. So coming up, we'll have Byron Scott. Also, make sure you check out the Mike Wise show. He had Warriors general Ma- uh, not general manager, Warriors assistant coach. Mike Brown on this week, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, and that's on Thursdays, and the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong that comes out on Thursdays, but first... Guys, explain this to me. Adam, explain this to me. The Raptors could only beat the Warriors if KD doesn't return. Yes. 
That's the only <laughs> chance. That's the only chance the Raptors have, and probably another injury or two. But I, I do think though, Noah. Um, look, first of all, are the Warriors better without Kevin Durant? The often asked question. They're just different without Kevin Durant. But still, it's Steph Curry, it's Clay Thompson, it's Draymond Green. Um, if if Andre Godella is healthy, it's it's Iggy. It's it's the way that this team moves the ball. That it's it's a lot of core pieces from that '73 win team from a few years ago. Uh, but I I still think that the Warriors are just a different team without KD. But I still think without KD, they're still the best team in basketball. And I know that you have no disagreement with that. But Kevin Durant's the best player in the world right now. And if you take him off the team, and and I know they beat the Blazers in in impressive fashion, but I do think there are some opportunities, certainly when you talk about, you know, taking the ball out of Steph's hands or, or you know, double teaming and trapping off high screen rolls and things like that. Um, you know, plus the fact that now Kawhi Leonard, instead of having to guard a Kevin Durant, you know, maybe he plays some on Steph. I, I think there are some different opportunities for the Raptors, but I don't think they win in that case. But I think if there's any opportunity for the Raptors to win, it has to be without Kevin Durant. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. But also, I, I've eliminated the it's not better, it's different. I've eliminated that from my jargon since college. Like I, I got myself in trouble once, and I'll never say it again. And I wasn't, and I wasn't breaking down an NBA Finals game either. I will, I will never say it, it wasn't better or worse. It was different. Never, never, never ever again. I'm not going to get a story here. No. no. Uh, maybe, maybe in a month, okay. yes, not, exactly. not, not in the next four weeks. So I think a lot of it has to do with defensively then on Kawhi. So you know, when you don't have, when, when Kawhi doesn't have the option of seeing KD on defense and making his life a little bit harder where look and, and clay, clay will be an outstanding defender. I think Draymond might have him a little bit too. Uh, and I, and of course, Andre Iguodala, I think Iguodala, I think that injury is also pretty significant. Of just how healthy he is and how effective he can be, because then you're going to have then you're going to have Kawhi. What type of if he doesn't have to see KD on the other side, if he doesn't have to be guarding KD, then he's got that energy left on on the other end also. But are we, you know, over those first what was it the first two games or even in the Sixers series, it was all right. Who's going to? And I couldn't have been any more wrong about both of these conference finals about which way they were going and how they'd be contested, but. We all waited to see for the other Raptors to show up, and right. and some and some of them did. So what happens when you know if Danny Green, God forbid, he shows up? Like Fred Van Vliet has now shown up. Kyle Lowry showed up. Siakam yes. showed up. Ibaka did. And and so should we be expecting the rest of the Raptors to show up? I I just think that it just matters if the NBA for the NBA if this series just gets to six games and and right now I'd, I'd lean warriors in six you warriors in six that that sounds right to me seems that sounds safe, right? right yeah i definitely think it seems safe and i think you're right i think between the role players and the other guys on the on the raptors that we've sort of grown accustomed to to playing well uh we didn't know if that would happen in the playoffs and obviously as you point out it, it took a while but now, especially with Van Bleet leading the way, it's it's certainly happened for sure. And Noah, you, you talk about the the Warriors in six. So explain this to me. 
the Warriors three-peating is actually the best outcome for the league. Yeah, I think if they do it without KD, then then I do think it is. And I don't feel the need, but I, I guess I'll say it anyway. This is no disrespect to Toronto and no disrespect to Canadian basketball. None. But I do think the best thing for the league would be if the Warriors win and they do it without KD and then KD leaves. And then it opens up everything else. You go back to what we all loved about the Golden State Warriors because nobody hates anybody on the Warriors except for KD and, and hate I put in quotes. That's really the Draymond, only... maybe. Draymond. Well, okay. Yeah, but I, I think the, the Draymond dislike came from the a lot of that. A lot of it came from the recruitment of KD. So the association and sure the antics on the floor, but a lot of the was the association with KD. Sure. So then K, so then KD moves on. And but I also think it could be I think that's the best outcome, but it would also be good for the league, I think, if the Raptors won and then you might see more teams than just going all in like the Raptors did like, all right, well, you know what? The Raptors could convince Kawhi to win it, to come there. Or, and, and then if, you know, of course, if they win and Kawhi stays, that's the ultimate outcome for the Raptors. So yeah, you go all in on a trade and really mix things up and, and shake it up. And then Kawhi stays. I think, I think that would be a good outcome for the league, but, but I do think you got to get to six games and the Warriors winning without KD playing. But I'm, I'm also, Going back to our first question, thinking about can the Raptors withstand one of those, you know, those Warriors third quarter onslaughts? And and I don't know, because, you know, a lot of those Raptors never been in the finals in, in these situations. What do yeah, you think? It, it, well, it's so weird that you say that because the perception also has changed because since you go all the way back to the Rockets injuries earlier in the year. And I think because of that, all of a sudden we sort of saw this flipping of how the Western Conference playoffs shook out. Like it should have been the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, and a Blazers should have felt more like uh, an earlier round matchup. And instead, because the uh, the inverse happened, they play the Blazers in the Western Conference Finals um, because of how the playoffs shook out. Uh, I, I think we're sort of believing like, oh, this Warriors team back to being a juggernaut and can't be stopped and all this. Whereas I don't know that the Blazers were necessarily ready for that moment. And it's not a knock on the Warriors whatsoever. I mean, they, they were going to win regardless of who they played. So that's sort of a moot point. I'm just talking about the perception as we go into the finals. I, I'm curious, though, Noah, people keep bringing up, I don't want to say everyone says, we've talked about how we're getting that phrasing as well. But I've heard multiple people bring up the idea that for the Raptors, this Kawhi Leonard one-year rental was absolutely now worth it. And I'm curious to your thoughts. Like, so let's say they don't win. Let's say they lose in five. Absolutely worth it now to get to the finals and, and this great moment for the city and everything that's happened with Toronto. Was it worth it? I mean, when you see what's going to happen now, um, I think Masai is going to do some interesting things and try to convince Kawhi to stay. But obviously a lot of us believe that's not going to be the case. So, over the next few years, is it a wait and see approach? Or do you think already now, no matter what happens going forward, this was worth it because the Raptors reached the NBA finals? I do think it was worth it. And it, and it kind of, I'll echo my sentiments that I had of the trade at the time that Masai Ujiri understood and, and recognized what their ceiling was, whether LeBron was in the Eastern Conference still or not, he recognized what their ceiling was. And in order to raise that ceiling, he had to make this move, and they raised their ceiling, and that's all. And that's all you can ask for from an organization. And I understand that if you know if they end up losing and Kawhi leaves, then they could have some lean years. But 
this is, I, I do think it was, I do think it was a success. And, and I think it would also, if I'm a, if I'm a fan of the Raptors, I would have even more confidence in my general manager than I did before. And, and you had a lot of confidence in Masai already. Right. So I know you were checking out some draft workouts mm-hmm. this past week. If you could get odds on Kobe White from Carolina winning rookie of the year, take it. I, I would strongly, strongly take a look at that. I, I think that Kobe White is way better than anyone anticipates. So certainly you are going to get get odds um, with the fact that Zion's playing next year in the league as a rookie and John Morant. But to right, me, Zion's going to be the overwhelming oh, favorite. So it's going to be you crazy. Get, you can get Kobe White at plus whatever. You know, it could be – you can't get him yet because we don't know the – don't know where he's going to be, but – yeah, you know, I'm gonna guess it's gonna be a you know a plus eight hundred at least situation. Oh, you're gonna get value for Kobe White and you're gonna get value for John Morant. And the thing about Kobe White is that he is so much better than I think anybody realizes. He's bigger than people think. When people meet him in person, the first thing they say to him is, Wow, I didn't realize that you were this tall. Uh, measured like six three and a half without shoes, but I mean basically like a six five point guard, you know, it's the Fletch joke with, you know about whether the hair counts or not. But but the truth is this kid is is strong. He's extremely athletic. He's quick. He's got a great handle and understands how to play defensively. And he is an outstanding shooter. And I was at Don McLean's workout. I know Don really well. And and Don is like the the top workout guy for guys to get them ready for uh, their team workouts. And so right now he's got Kobe White, he's got Jordan Poole of Michigan, Eric Pascal of Villanova, uh, Bull Bull of Oregon is there, and um, he's uh, also got uh, Casey Akpala from Stanford. Mm. Kobe White has been a major standout, and Don said to me at one point, he's he might be as good as anyone he's ever had. And and oh, when wow. you and when you think about the fact that he's had Carl Anthony Towns that he's worked out, Paul George, D'Angelo Russell, Devin Booker. Uh, this guy, wow. he's worked out some of the top, top tier talents in the draft and Donovan Mitchell. And so to have a guy like Kobe White and he's shot it, I think, better than anyone anticipated. And and just and the thing about it is, you know, the workouts are not just on the court, but also getting a chance to see these guys lifting weights and doing core strength and then running sand dunes, you know, a witness them doing that and spending some time with them. It's also the leadership that stands out. It's also the work ethic. It's also the understanding. They're never going to work as hard as they will for that like month and a half, two month period. And it's, it was mind blowing just to see how Kobe White just checked all the boxes in terms of leadership, in terms of being a really good kid, a great teammate, um, his competitive fire, I, I am all in on on Kobe White, and uh, so yeah. If if you get a chance, he hasn't, and and he's going to go to a team that needs a point guard. I mean, he's he's working out for teams that need point guards, so he'll be handed the keys just like John Morant's going to be handed the keys when the Grizzlies trade uh, Mike Conley. So Kobe White will be a prime selection uh, for this year's uh, Rookie of the Year. Selection. I want to I want to follow up on that real quick. How does it make you feel just standing there and you know? sipping a, a drink with a umbrella in it while these guys run sand dunes. <laughs> you know, it's funny about you saying that is, um, so it, the, the, there's a place in LA, a thousand Oaks, LA area called uh, proactive where these guys work out. And, um, 
and and do the uh, weight training, free weights, and they're on the you know stairmaster and all these all these other uh, lifting activities. And I'm telling you, Noah, you will never see guys work out as hard. And in walks while I was there, Paul George walked in. Uh, uh, Jerome Robinson from the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a few linemen from the Rams. I mean, there's just pro athletes coming in and out. These guys are working so hard. Meanwhile, I have a guy shooting the video there, and then I'm next to him hanging out. And at one point, Jordan Poole turns to me and says, are you going to get a workout in today, or are you nah. just going to sit here uh, looking pretty? And I was like, I, you know. And, and by the way, no, you will never feel more out of shape in your life than when you watch these guys who do like hours of workouts oh, yeah. and then go in the gym and work out for two hours, nonstop competitive workouts, live action, all that, and then go and run sand dunes. And meanwhile, if I had done one of those things for half the time they were doing it, I would have needed a really long nap. So yes, it's a legitimate question. Yeah. And the media won't play a game with, if it's live streamed <laughs> during the finals. All right, let's go to Byron Scott. That was dope. <laughs> Somebody that knows all about the NBA Finals is Byron Scott. 14 years in the league as a player, 16 years as a head coach. Went to two as a head coach. Went to six as a player. Won three with the Lakers and went to three other conference finals. All he did was win. Byron, so what I want to know is, of the three titles you won with the Lakers, which celebration was the best and why? (laughs) Well, the first one. The first one was... uh... In 85, and it's, you know, we beat the Boston Celtics, which a Laker team had never beaten the Celtics in the NBA Finals. So that was historical for us and the franchise. They got a lot of um, monkeys off a lot of people's backs, you know, Jerry West and Chamberlain and those guys that never beaten the Celtics. So I think that was, for me, the, the most memorable one. And the uh, uh, and obviously the first one is always, you know, uh, special. So, yeah, I just look back on that year and, and how how special our team was. Um, you know, how dedicated we were that year to just really trying to win a championship and we didn't care who got in our way. So beating the Celtics in eighty five was the most gratifying. All right, all right, enough about the series. Like I'm talking about the celebration. Like what party was the best? Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, the party after eighty eight. The, the, the party after we did it back to back. Was was a it was a hell of a celebration. I mean, we partied all night. We partied the next day. We partied for the next day. I mean, it, then we had the parade and everything, and everything. So the the party after we won our back to back championship was uh, the biggest party because that year was tough because Pat Riley had guaranteed we would do it, you know. So it was a lot of pressure on us, uh, and you know, for us to be able to come through, you know, it was a big sigh of relief when we were able to get it done. So we we partied our butts off after that. <laughs> Byron, uh, all those great Lakers-Celtics matchups, what was it like to be a visitor at the Boston Garden during that era? It was great, and it was it was tough, and it was scary all at the same time. You know, if you're a competitor, you want to you play against the best, and you want to beat the best. And the Celtics were great, you know, a great basketball team. They were great at home, especially. The fans were unbelievable. Uh, a lot of tension in that arena when we came there, obviously. Um, it was scary at times because I know there was times where we brought our wives uh, to the games and they were being threatened by fans in Boston. So that was the scary part. Uh, and every now and then when we would go out in the city to go to the movies and dinner and things of that nature, it got a little sketchy. But uh, 
to to be a part of that whole uh, whole scene of, of playing against the Celtics and, and even in L.A. and in or, or Boston, no matter what, it was just it was just the rivalry was such it was so great, you know. And we and we truly disliked each other. I'm not going to use the word hate because that's a strong word, but we really, really disliked each other uh, about as much as you can dislike another team. And I think that that's the reason that the uh, rivalry was so great. You, you said it was sketchy when, when you'd go out. I mean, so how how was that the case? Well, you, I mean, we, we were in their town. They didn't, you know, they didn't necessarily like us <laughs> a whole lot. And Magic <laughs> and myself and, and, and Michael Cooper always went to dinner and movies together and, yeah, we got heckled at times. Uh, and, you know, I mean, and, and back in those days, uh, you know, people would get a little toasty. Get, you know, they, they would drink a little bit. And when you drink, you get brave and you want to start some trouble every now and then. So, yep. you know, we just always had our guards up. You know, that's the only thing. When we went out in Boston, we always had our guards up. Uh, we weren't going to be surprised by anything. You know, when we went out, we tried to make sure we sit where we could see every see everybody. And the same thing at the movies. So, uh, you know, because fans are crazy. They, that, let's just be real. Fans sometimes, you know, when you know, uh, when they're rooting for their team, you know, they they will they will say and do some crazy stuff to the opposing team. So, we just we just made sure when we were out and about, you know, that we were uh, never alone. That we always went out together, and uh, you know, we we were always ready for whatever. Did, did you have security with you when you went out? Never. This, this, you know, this, it, this, the 2015-18, you know, teams and players are a whole lot different than the 80s. You know, we never had security. You know, we went, we went places on our own. Um, never had security at the arenas. Uh, you know, after a couple of games of, you know, our wives being verbally abused, abused by some of the fans, I hired a guy who was a really good friend of mine. who used to be a bodyguard for Muhammad Ali. And so he just stood right by him, just you know, just in case anything went off. But uh, myself and Cooper Magic, we never had security. We just went where we wanted to go, and you know, did what we had to do, and and uh, never thought about having security or any any backup or anything of that nature. Well, what's the closest you ever found yourself in a in a physical altercation with Celtics fans? Never with a Celtics fan. It was always with a Celtics player. You know, we never, you know, as much as we went out in, in Boston, uh, like I said, you know, they, they wasn't bad. I mean, they would they would get on us about the sex that was going to kick our butts and, okay. you know, Larry, Bra- Larry Bird is going to kill you, Magic, and all this stuff. And But never never to a point where it got even close to physical. You know, all, all right. the physicalness was on the floor, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know that at that time and era, we could beat the crap out of each other, and it was if it was no blood, it was no foul. So, all the physical play and all the physical altercations that we encountered were always on the basketball floor. All right. So then, who who did you never hit that you wanted to hit? Well, I never hit ML Carr. Would have loved to have hit him back in the day. Um, <laughs> <you know? laughs> never got a chance to hit him. Uh, you know, I got I got into obviously with Danny Ainge. I got into it with Mikhail. Uh, you know, but but never got into it with the one I really wanted to get into it, which was ML Carr. But it's funny to this day, ML and I are friends. Uh, you know, uh, after the thirty for thirty, we you know we 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 got to know each other a little bit better, and uh, the rivalry was real because of the fact that we truly did dislike each other. But we also found out that we had so much in common that basically it was you know almost playing against 
ourselves because they, they, they were just like us. They just wanted to win and they did it in a different way. Byron, we've heard all about some of the, the stories from, from that rivalry, but what are some of the intricacies of the game plan that you guys would have when you would go up against them in the finals? Oh man. Uh, you know, the, the the one biggest game plan that we had that we could never solve uh, against Boston until we got Michael Thompson was Kevin McHale. We had no answer for Kevin McHale. Uh, we tried single covering Kevin McHale. That didn't work. We tried double covering, you know, double teaming Kevin McHale. That didn't work. Um, you know, he was just able to just basically destroy us. In 84, that was the reason that we felt uh, we didn't win the championship. 85, we were just so upset at 84 we were, you know, we were able to, you know, kind of overcome it, but he still was a, a thorn in our side. Uh, so our game plan with him was we, we had to find somebody that can guard this guy without having us be putting in the, in rotations of having to, you know, run run off Danny Ainge or run at Larry Bird, and now they got a live dribble. And we found that guy in Michael Thompson. He was kind of the uh, the, the one guy that we, that we had that could guard Kevin McHale head up. And we didn't have to help, and that really enabled us to beat him again in '87. Well, so let's stay with coaching. Did you always feel that you had the advantage with Pat Riley on the sideline? Well, I, I th- yeah, I, I think we all felt that, that we we had the better coach. But you know, that's not to take any way anything away from Casey because Casey was a great coach as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we felt we also were just more talented. We had more speed. Uh, we were a more talented basketball team. But, you know, I give Boston a lot of credit. Those, those guys were so good. You know, I wouldn't have said this 10 years ago, you know, but now they, they, they were so good. You know, just <laughs> looking back at the way they played the game, how good Larry Bird – you know, Larry Bird is one of the greatest players I've ever seen. Uh, uh, they have one of the greatest front lines ever. There's, there's been so much time that has passed, and we've kind of all moved forward and patched – patched all the uh, the negativity that we had against each other away. And it, I think now it's more of just respect on how we played the game and on how they played the game. Because I really believe in the 80s, Magic and Larry Bird brought the NBA to where it is today. You know, they, they really, you know, uh, put eyes on the NBA. And obviously you got to give David Stern, the commissioner, uh, you know, some credit for that as well. But without Magic and Larry, when they came in at the right time, uh, they really put the NBA back on the map. All right, so you guys could have had the three-peat in 89. And you were 11-0 yeah. going into the finals. Yeah. And then you hurt your hamstring. If you had played in that finals, yeah. you guys beat the Pistons? Well, I got to say, I, I got to believe we would have. You know, we were on a roll at that particular time. We were playing great. Um, you know, I hurt my hamstring, and then Magic hurt his hamstring in game one, and that basically, you know, pretty much sealed our fate. But at, the, at that particular time, we were playing just great basketball. We were on a roll. Um, you know, I know myself personally, I was probably playing the best I've ever played. Uh, you know, Magic was playing great. We, we were just rolling on all cylinders. So I, I truly believe, and, and again, no disrespect to Detroit because Isaiah and Joe Dumars and those guys were great. You know, I had a great basketball team. Uh, but I thought if we would have been healthy, we'd win that series. What, what, if, what if you were healthy? But Magic had still gotten hurt. Oh, we in trouble. Okay. All right. <laughs> we we in trouble. No, I mean Magic. You know he was, you know he was our leader, our captain. I mean he he just he did so many things for our team. He made so many guys better. Uh, no, so if, I mean missing him, no, we 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 still wouldn't have had a chance. Byron, the 
the development of magic and and uh how history perceives players as we look back upon them yeah how much do you recall it it motivated him him having those early those struggles early on in his career and then when you guys had linked up it seems like things were in full stride how how much of that do you recall about about him you know being a guy that was considered at that time had, had made some mistakes in the finals and um mm-hmm. you know really meant a lot to, to Pat Riley that he could overcome that. Well, I think all great players, you know, they, they come to a point in time in their, in their career where they have some, uh, some hiccups, you know, they fall on their face, their face, they, 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 uh, they fail. And, you know, you can go one or two ways and the great ones, you know, they rise above it and magic's no different. You know, you look at that, that uh, year he missed the free throws. I mean, you know, he blamed that series on himself, took it upon himself to start working out earlier to get ready for the next year. It, it just It's just a different drive in those guys when they don't have success. It just drives them even more. Um, and, and Magic's no different. Uh, he came into training camp like it was midseason form as far as his conditioning and the way he was playing. So uh, I think it made his – it elevated his career to a different level. I think he was still going to be, you know, one of the greatest of all times. But when you have failure in your life, uh, especially in the thing that you do the best, which is basketball for him, uh, it just it just made him focus that much more. and it, it made him want to be more successful, and that's what he was able to do. So then how is he handling this failure as uh, as an executive? As an executive, I think it's the same. I, you know, I think, you know, the, the only difference with that is you have to have other people around you that can help you be successful. And the same thing in basketball. But, you know, from an individual standpoint, you know, uh, some of the things that you can overcome, uh, you can do it on an individual level, but you still need a team. But as an executive, it's not much different, you know, to be, to be honest with you. If, you. if you're an executive in a business or if you're running a business, you still need your teammates, so to speak, you know, your employees around you to make you better. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's all going to come, it's all going to fall on you. So you got to make sure that you're prepared. I think magic's the same way in business. He, he, he kind of approaches it the same way he did on the basketball court. I think that's why he's been so successful as a business person. So what about his Twitter feed? Can, can he get some other people around him to write these tweets? It's like, uh, it's like reading <laughs> a, a story from the Associated Press. <laughs> yeah, he probably could, but he probably it's, won't. It's Magic Johnson. I don't, it's, I don't need Magic Johnson to tell me that Kawhi Leonard went for twenty-five and it was a great win for the Raptors. Give me something that only Magic er, Johnson can tell me. Right, right. No, I, I understand you, and I and I and you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, and, and right now he's kind of being politically correct with the with the tweets and all that. But you know, he, he, I guess I guess he's got to watch that. You know, I, I don't I don't do a lot a lot of tweeting and all that social media stuff. You know, I, every now and then when I do go on. Uh, you know, I, you, you still have to watch what you say, of course, uh, because, again, now you got fans that are, are, are just people in general that can say anything and hide behind a, a, a you know, a blank face or they don't mm-hmm. have to put their name on it. So, you know, you got a lot of brave people in the world today on social media. They can say whatever they want. But we can't do that. You know, Magic can't do that. I can't do that. I can't just say how I really truly feel about somebody saying some of the things that they say. Uh, about me and I'm sure he can't do the same thing you know so at times you just gotta you know be be uh, politically correct and just say the right things 
because again, once you say the wrong things, it's going to be blown up even more so on social media and in and in uh, regular news as well. So mm-hmm. you know that, that's just that's just a part of it. This is the truth. Uh, when did you find out that Magic was going to leave the Lakers? Uh, I found out that night that he decided to step down. So I didn't find out before anybody. Um, you know, I, I found out probably just like everybody else that night after the game where he, uh, you know, told the media that he was stepping down as the president of basketball operation for the Lakers. And I was probably like 90, 90% of the people in L.A. I was shocked. You know, I was surprised. I was disappointed. Um, you know, all those emotions kind of ran through me. And um, and then, I, you know, I got a chance to see him a couple of weeks later. Uh, I didn't call him. Like, everybody was like, you going to talk to him? I said, I'll talk to him in due time. Mm-hmm. And when I did, you know, my, my first question was, are you okay? And he was like, I'm good. You know, and I said, that's all I need to know. And uh, kind of left it at that. Uh, you know, then, you know, obviously found out later uh, some of the reasons that he wanted to resign uh, from the Lakers as basketball, as president of basketball operations. Were you more surprised that Magic resigned or when Riley resigned in, in 1990? Um, I was more surprised when Magic resigned. I wouldn't. I, I mean, I was a little surprised when Riles resigned, but not as not as much. Okay. Uh, I, I think he got to the point where he felt that he ran, you know, he ran his course with the organization and with the team. And it was time to move on, and he probably felt that you know, we, you know, the players were getting you know sick and tired of him as well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which wasn't the case. You know, uh, didn't agree with everything, but obviously, we did whatever he asked us to do because we believed in him as a coach. But um, yeah, I, I was a little bit more surprised with Magic stepping down than I was when Ralph stepped down. And I want to stay with coaching. I want I want to talk about the the NBA Finals in a moment, but. What was the okay. – give me a story that could illustrate the transition for you as a player going from playing for the Lakers. And, yeah, I know you had Mike Dunleavy after Riley, but really going from Riley to then Larry Brown with the Pacers. Well, for me, uh, transitioning from a player to a coach, I, I never had any aspirations of coaching. No, no, I'm talking about as a, as, a, as a player from when you went as a, as a player to play for Riley to playing for Larry Brown. Oh, to play for Larry. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of similarities and um, uh, a lot of differences between those two. I mean, both of them were winners. Both of them were driven. Um, Larry was much more of a, you know, after practice, let's play golf, let's go have dinner. And, and Raleigh was like, after practice, I don't want to see you. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> have nothing to do with you type thing. It was strictly almost business. Uh, you know, so they were different in that in that in that content. But as far as X's and O's and the way they approached the game, they had so much in common, and I think that's why they're both Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, Pat Riley would be on the back of the plane, back of the bus, or in front of the bus when he when we played, and he was always working. His mind was always always working on basketball. Uh, flying back from New York, you know, late nights you know, coming back, get up to go to the bathroom. His light is the only one on, and he's, he's got a, a a pencil and pad, and he just jotting plays down in, in, in mm. strategy and this and that. He, he just never stopped working. Larry was a guy that he, he's just going to work, work, work as well, but he also tried to enjoy – I'm not going to say enjoy life, but he tried to just enjoy the, the process as well. 
you know. So um, I loved them both. I mean, they they both brought brought the best out of me, especially Rouse. Rouse pushed me more than any other coach I've ever had in my life. Uh, Larry was more of a, you know, he, he pushed me, but he also was a guy that pushed me and then asked me a ton of questions because he knew I played for the Lakers and we won championships. So he was always asking for information as far as how did you guys do this? How did you do that? And then he would implement it at times in, in practice and in games, you know, so he was, which was very impressive to me because this is a hall of fame coach who was asking me, how did we play certain plays? And then he would, you know, say, okay, we're going to do it that way. And, And I thought that was, uh, impressive because this is a guy who's still learning, who's still trying to learn, you know, who's been in this business for 20, 30 years, but he still looks at it as a way that he can continue to grow as a coach. So I, I thought they both were just unbelievable coaches and unbelievable people as well. So then, Byron, given the Pat Riley's success with the Lakers and then now his longtime success as an executive, should when Magic stepped down, should the Lakers have reached out to Pat Riley? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to hire him, but at least reach out to him and, and talk to him uh, and see what his thoughts are uh, about, about the position. Uh, and from what I hear, they didn't even, they never reached out to him. So, you know, again, my opinion, they, they at least should have reached out to a legend, a guy who's, who's been with the organization, who's won at the organization, who uh, wherever he goes, success seems to follow Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they definitely should have reached out to him. Byron, in terms of having conversations with Pat Riley, Larry Brown, and other coaches that you've had, when you were coaching yourself and taking the Nets to back-to-back NBA finals or, you know, um, during those playoff stretches, who who were you speaking to during those runs and what kind of advice did they give you? You know what? I, I just I didn't speak to anybody uh, from a coaching standpoint, uh, mm. like a Pat Riley or a Larry Larry Brown. I spoke to Jerry West, and you know he he was kind of like my basketball dad. So anything or any questions that I ever had about basketball, as far as taking a job or players or things of that nature, I would call Jerry West. Uh, and the, one of the reasons was I knew he would give it to me straight. You know, he's going to tell me exactly what's on his mind, what he thinks. He's going to tell me exactly what he feels about players. Uh, and, and that's what I wanted, you know. So when I had to call somebody to talk about, uh, you know, the, the New Orleans job that was offered to me, what did he think about that job and what did he think about the players? I would always call Jerry West. Uh, when we got to the finals in New Jersey and we're playing the Lakers, <laughs> You know, it was kind of hard to call him then because we're we're playing the the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, when we play San Antonio, it was like, you know, hey, Loco, what do you think about this series and our chances? And he was he was like, well, I think San Antonio is a better team. You know, and you guys are gonna really have to you know be lucky in, in some some ways. You got to kind of gimmick up the game. You got to do this. I mean, he gave me just great advice. So he he was the one person that I would call, uh, and, and and even to this day. You know, he's the one person I would call when it comes to anything to do with with coaching or players in basketball. I I know when you were coaching the Nets, I, I wanted to do some background for this interview. So I reached out to Richard Jefferson and asked him <laughs> if there's anything I could ask you. And he told me to ask you about the first phone call to him 
that you made and <laughs> Richard Jefferson's draft workout. And then he said, you're welcome. So we need both those stories. <laughs> I don't remember the first phone call. I do remember the workout. Um, I think the first phone call was after we drafted him. And basically he said he didn't want to go to Jersey. He wanted to go somewhere else. He thought he was going to go somewhere else. He didn't think we were going to draft him. So that, that's Richard Jefferson in itself. That was the honesty that this kid had from day one. The workout was, was phenomenal. I mean, not the story is phenomenal because he had a terrible workout for us. He had worked out. Uh, we were like the 10th workout in 12 or 13 days for him. And his workout was just, it, it was awful. We brought him in, myself and Rod Thorne, and we had a conversation. We talked to him, and he told us that this was like his 10th workout. He said, I know I didn't do well, you know, but I'm, I'm tired. You know, this process is pretty much crazy. And, uh, you know, we were like, okay, all right. Well, first thing about the kid, we, we love his honesty. And, and then we draft him. And he was like, I did not want to be drafted by you guys. That's why my workout was so crappy. <laughs> but at the end of the day, obviously, it worked out for both parties. And Richard uh, is one of my favorite all-time guys. Uh, he really is. He, he was just uh, a great guy to coach. He was a workaholic. You know, he could stay out till 2, 3 in the morning, but he's in the gym at 9, you know, for 11 o'clock practice working on his shot. So he, he, was, just a, he was just a joy to have around. And, uh, and coach, we, we had a lot of fun together. I know, I know he promised to get to the finals, but you mentioned RJ being out till two, three in the morning and being in the gym and performing. So give me your, give me your all time five out till 3 a.m. and still killing it the next day. <laughs> oh my God. You mean that I've coached or just Co- coach, coached or played with? Oh man, coach I played with. Uh, that, that's how, well, Richard Jefferson is number one. He's probably the MVP. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, cause he would he would he would straight tell me, Coach, I was in New York all night, four o'clock in the morning with these models. We were partying, and then he'd come practice and do what he had to do. You know, so he he was he was number one on that list. I don't know if there's anybody else. I would really really have to think, dig deep. Uh, Kyrie Irving was another guy that that his rookie year in Cleveland. Uh, you know, he would party a little bit and, you know, make sure he, he came to practice to work. But other than those two guys, I mean, I would really, really have to think about it and think hard on other guys that I've coached um, or played with. Because remember, you got you to understand, I played with the Lakers right when I came in the first 10 years. I know it. And that that, that wasn't our MO. You know, we, we if we party, it would be you know, you go out till you go out till like midnight, and then boom, you you out of the you out of the club because you knew you had a Pat Riley practice the next day or a game. So we never stayed out till three, four in the morning. Um, so from that, from from playing standpoint, and then I'm in Indiana with with Reggie Miller and and the Davis boys and all those guys, and that wasn't a party type team. So I didn't really have a bunch of guys that I played with that were party animals and then would kill it the next day. It was basically those two guys that I mentioned from a coaching standpoint. Uh, and I would have to think a little bit longer to, to, to think of some other guys. All right, next time, next time. All right, so let's uh, let's get next into the time. finals. Let's get into the finals a little bit then, because your your hamstring injury makes me think about KD being hurt now and, and missing at least the start of the finals. So you be the Jerry West, be on that end of that phone call when Nick Nurse is calling you. What are you telling him about how to handle the Warriors? And if Steve Kerr is calling you. What are you telling him about how to handle the Raptors? Well, if, I, if I'm Nick, I'm telling him how to handle the Warriors. You got to first of all, you got to be physical and you got to slow the game down. 
You gotta you gotta make them a half court team. You can't let these guys just get up and down the floor and just shoot threes and, and play freely. First of all, you gotta be aggressive. You gotta put hands on them. And in the finals and in the playoffs in general, the referees allow you to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more physical. So I think that favors Toronto. If I'm Steve Kerr, I'm telling our guys, guys, we got to keep playing fancy free. We got to keep getting up and down the floor, take the first available shot. And let's see if we can get them to try to play our style of ball. Because uh, there's nobody in the league better at it than Golden State. So, you know, you don't change a whole lot. I think with both teams right now, because they're both exactly where they want to be, everything right now is a tweak. You know, you know, Toronto, you're going to have to tweak your defense a little bit because this team plays from the outside in. You know, uh, Golden State's got to t- tweak their defense a little bit because now they got a guy in Kawhi Leonard who has proven better than anybody in the playoffs so far that he can carry a team on his back and win games. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think it's, you know, this year's playoffs, uh, I knew at the start of it it was going to be fun to watch. I, I thought, for, for me personally, I said to myself, this is going to be the most fun watching the playoffs uh, that I've had in a long time, and it, it definitely it has not disappointed me, and I don't think the finals will as, as well. All right, so this this Warriors team, and we'll put, put KD on it, against okay. your prime Lakers teams with, let's take two scenarios, 80s rules and then today's rules, best of seven, what happens in each one of those scenarios? Well, 80s rules, I think we beat them. Uh, again, because we were, you know, we weren't known as a physical team, but we played physical when we had to, you know, and, and then we had the ultimate weapon in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that, you know, nobody could stop. I know the Warriors are going to look at it and say, yeah, but three is more than two. You know, them shooting a bunch of threes, and we wasn't a three-point shooter, shooting team. Myself and Coop were our three-point shooters, and then Magic started making them as well. Uh, but I still think with the rules that were in place in the 80s that we would have the advantage, we would win the series. Today's rules, they would they would beat us, you know, because you couldn't touch them. Uh, the way they get up and floor, get up and down the floor, they get up and down the floor for threes. We got up and down the floor for layups and dunks, you know. So that's a big difference. So I, I think if you look at the rules in the '80s, we win, and the in the rules today, they win. Okay. What was Kareem like as a teammate? Great. He was great. I mean, he, he was a prankster. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't envision Kareem being the, the kind of the class clown in the locker room. He was always the one pulling out pranks and uh, like you know, what he, he once put. Well, he, he once he once put Nair, uh, which is a, the, uh, the hair removal for women's <laughs> legs and stuff. He once put Nair on Michael Cooper's head while he was asleep. Ooh. And uh, yeah, and Coop woke, woke up burning. So, you know, and, and that Ooh. little patch of hair was going, and Kareem was just dying laughing. So he, he was that type of prankster. He would do some stuff uh, like that, and, and nobody wanted to mess with him because he was a black belt in, in, in martial arts, <laughs> so we couldn't beat him up. <laughs> but he, he was he was one of the biggest pranksters we had on the team. Uh, and I, I know a lot of people will look at that and be like, you got to be kidding, because he was always so stoic. But he really was a great teammate. Uh, I sit next to him for six years, which was a blessing because I, I learned a lot, you know, about the game of basketball, about uh, life in general, about taking care of your finances and basketball and things of that nature. He really taught me a lot, so I really appreciated it. Did you ever prank him? Oh, yeah. You know, if you're a prankster, sooner or later you're going to get pranked. Right, so how, you know, how, did, how did that go down? 
Oh, well, Kareem had these favorite jeans that he wore damn near every game, every home game. So we, we decided that, uh, you know, the last game of the season, we were going to all get a pair of scissors and just cut holes in these things. And we did it. And um, Kareem had to wear his sweatsuits home, sweatpants home that day. <clears throat> a few days later, he said, and he, and he was he was upset. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't upset to the to the point where he wanted to beat everybody up, but he was upset. You know, we were laughing, having a good time. And he comes back a few days later, and he said, you know, I know all the guys who participated in cutting up my pants. And we were like, no, there's no way, you know, somebody took a Polaroid shot and had us with scissors in our hand with his pants. So he did have evidence of us. Yeah, the Polaroid. So he had evidence of us cutting his pants. And he vowed to get each and every one of us back. And uh, I I think Coops was the nair. I can't remember what mine was. But he he, he went down the line, and believe me, he got us all back. Oh, we got to find out. That's a 30 for 30, finding out who took that Polaroid (laughs) shot. Wait, do you know who took the Polaroid? We've been trying to figure no, we we had tried to figure that out for years. I thought it was Gary Vitti at first, but I, but Gary said he denied it. He said it wasn't him. So somebody that was in that locker room that we wasn't really paying attention to took a picture of that, and they gave it to Kareem later on. Wow, wow. Um, the uh, Byron, so much great stuff. We appreciate all of it, and um. I know when we have you on again, we'll have to ask you so many more questions. But we we always ask on this show, because it's catch and shoot, we like to ask the guests a, a catch and shoot question. And for you, we didn't okay. get to any of the Arizona State stuff. So I want to ask you, there's been so many great players in ASU history. You, Fat Lever, Eddie House, James Harden. One player, down by one, life on the line to hit in a catch and shoot. Who's taking that shot? Uh, me. Me. Love Eddie House, but, you know, I, I don't know if he could catch and shoot with somebody on, on him. Uh, James Harden, we know one of the best one-on-one players ever to play the game, but he's not a catch-and-shoot guy. James Harden sets you up off the dribble, so I would have to pick me. Catch I and love shoot, it. That's me. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that'll work. It, it's funny. I was showing my, my four-and-a-half-year-old daughter this morning, Byron. I, I was showing her highlights of you. Uh, over breakfast this morning, and she said, uh, uh, "And she said, how, how does how does he jump so high?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> Dad, can can you jump that high?" No, 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 no. Is is a dunk worth two points? I'm like, well, you know, some of the things that Byron did should have been worth more than two. But I guess a catch and shoot three would have, a catch and shoot three would have been that. Byron, we really do appreciate it. You can watch you can watch Byron, uh, of course, on ESPN's The Jump. We really do appreciate it. Enjoy the finals. Guys, I appreciate it anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think we're about to go off the rails. The stories from Byron were terrific, and it leads me to two things here for off the rails. A quick one, Adam. Who's the person that you've always wanted to hit and then never did? <laughs> A professional athlete? Yeah. Uh, I've had some people I've worked with over the years that I'm not going to name names. We used to play a game, Noah, where – and, and it's a fun game to play in any office setting. You get five punches to the face, zero consequences. That person will feel pain, though. Uh, who, who are the five people that you're hitting in the office? And by the way, you can use multiple punches on, on one person if you want. It's a I don't, fun I don't, game. I, this is, I don't condone this behavior at all. This is um, it's this all is hypothetical. Very, 
This is very 2017, not not 2019. <laughs> um, but but maybe, maybe all right, hit me. Uh, Hit me then in no, the no uh, chance, no chance. Here's uh, maybe someone running the uh, the Sports Center Twitter account should be uh, should be hit, <laughs> and and you you pointed it out. So, and I don't follow the Sports Center Twitter account, but I saw it from you, and it said uh, the finals start on Thursday. In the meantime, tell us your finals matchup from this bracket: Warriors mm-hmm. Raptors all time bracket. So the all time Warriors: Steph Curry, the one seed. Wilt the two, KD the three, Clay the four, Mullen the five, Draymond Green the six, Tim Hardaway the seven, Baron Davis the eight. I don't, I don't want to debate one through eight here. Where the F is Rick Barry? Where's Rick Barry? <laughs> Dude, Rick, Bar- Rick Barry is a, a top 20 player of all time. And he's, and he doesn't, he's out making the Warriors one through eight. No, I, however you compile that list, and I don't, I don't care what your metrics are. I don't. The the only possible excuse is that you're ten years old, and no one has introduced you to the idea of Rick Barry yet. I mean, but, I know, I know, mistakes happen, but like before something goes out, it's got to be, it's got to be QC. It's got to go through some sort of quality control. It, this is, this didn't. I, no I just I was blown away. I mean, four All ABA selections, six All NBA selections, uh, MVP, Finals MVP. Not to mention just one of the greatest scorers of all time, one of the greatest basketball players, as you said, of all time. I mean, he's in the discussion. Um, a, a truly great player. Just because people haven't seen him that play for some reason, this idea—that's what bothers me the most. No, it's the—it's the recency bias. It's the idea that only the guys that are playing today are the the greatest of all time. And maybe we so did it when we were younger. We probably had the same thought. Like, but I always felt like there was respect for the greats. Like, and 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 in fact, I know even on the Knuckleheads podcast with Darius Miles and and uh, Quentin Richardson, those guys, even when they've talked about greatest of all time, sometimes they've even mentioned like. You don't even put sometimes guys in the category of Russell and Wilt. Like that's even another class altogether. Like at mm-hmm. least show Rick Barry that respect. Like for real. Like 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 call it modern day history or something if you want. But like acknowledge him in some respect. And don't even get me started on Nate Thurman, though. Oh, I know. I forget it. <laughs> I wish I wish we could have Rick. I might just <laughs> I, I might screenshot that and text him. Please let I, me know then, how that goes on the next podcast. I don't want to then throw his phone. He's probably out fishing. So I don't want to throw his phone <laughs> into the lake. You know, that would be like going through our thank yous as we're about to do and, and leave off, you know, one of our 18 producers. Yeah. Well, we only have two, Noah. We have two. And then that's got. me. That's me setting you up to thank everybody. I was going to. I was out. going to. I thought I was just guessing to see if you could guess who the, the two producers were. I can't. I can't. Okay. Well, it's Bruce Bernstein. Yes, and, I've heard uh, of him. Okay, and and Scott Turk Turkin. So, uh, oh, the one who piece. actually wrote that nice, that good piece about John Beeline. That's the one. Okay, yeah, Turk's written some too. good pieces on PureHoopsMedia.com. The whole Pure Hoops Media family. We need to thank, um, you know, whether it's whether it's the sales team, the social media team, Noah, like the team behind everything, and also we have other podcasts too. People, first of all, should be subscribing to this one. They should be listening to some past episodes because there's some great interviews that we've done, Noah. We got to toot our own horn for a moment. Yeah, most here. of those and are evergreen. So just go back are. and listen to the interviews and listen and, to the other stories. And uh, 
The, they're terrific. And also, listen, send us a comment on on uh, that Apple Podcast app or just reach out to Noah on Twitter if you want. I mean, he's Noah Kozlov. He's easy to find. And if you call him up, what, what's your rule, Noah, if someone calls you when you're doing some NBA radio on Sirius? Just don't say nobody talks about it. Just talk about it. Okay. Just mention it or he'll hung, hang up on you. But uh, we love comments and uh, people should listen to the other podcasts. Can you name the other podcasts we have? Sure, of course. The Mike Wise Show on Mondays and then Buckets, Boys, and Blocks with Monica McNutt on Thursdays. Pure Hoops with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong on Fridays. And Naismith Lives is Adam's Twitter handle. So you can like all his tweets when he represents Rick Barry amongst the all-time greats with the Warriors. Adam, uh, I appreciate it. You, you, you played hurt today. Good luck at the doctor and enjoy the start of the finals. Thank you, brother. And thanks, Byron Scott. He was awesome. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 